we're in the middle of our series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, at this point, he kind of pauses uh, his sermon and, and, and he gives sort of a, a mini teaching on prayer, if you will. It, it's like when he mentions prayer, he can't help but, but stop and, and teach us about it. So, so like Jesus, we're going to take a cue from him and, and we're going to do a kind of a mini series in the middle of our series on the Sermon on the Mount on the Lord's Prayer. Because prayer is just that important. Yet, it's something that we don't like to talk about too much, isn't it? I think it's kind of a shame, but let's just own it in this room. Hey, we're just family here, as Tyson already mentioned. Let's just own it in this room. It's not something that people get excited too much about. In fact, if you want to see a crowd smaller than today, and maybe it's why part of the, is play, play it in this, if you want to see a crowd that's small, say, hey, we're going to either teach on prayer or we're going to teach on evangelism. Immediately, people just feel defeated and they feel uninspired and they're not going to show up or they're going to tune out. Whether Christian or non-Christian, it's not like something that we like to talk about too much. And yet, in the middle of that, it's something that we all desire. We all desire to commune with something or someone who is greater than us. We all long for a, a, more, a more solid connection. You ever feel that in your friendships, in your relationships? You're like, no matter how much I love them and they love me, like, I long for something more solid. I long for something who, someone who has more or greater wisdom. I long to, to, to know someone who fully knows me and I can know them. We chase many things in life looking for that. Some are shadows of the genuine. Some are just total fakes. But prayer to and with the one and only true God is the connection that we are longing for. You hear that? The prayer with or communion with to know and talk to and be known by the one true God is the true deep connection that you and I long for at the core of our souls. Yet this passage on the Lord's Prayer is so familiar to many of us that it's easy for us to to miss the treasure that's promised here. Because this is the most famous passage in the most famous sermon in history. It's probable, it's hard to verify this, but it's probable, almost certain, that, that there's no collection of words, no paragraph, no poem, no, no song that has been said or read more than this passage, the Lord's Prayer. And yet with all that familiarity, there's a depth, a, a mine of treasure to be found here. And my prayer, as I just prayed, is that Jesus would be here and word and spirit and that we would can you imagine what it'd be like to be beside him or near him in that crowd whenever Jesus teaches what it's like to pray and I pray that it would be like that for us this morning because Jesus is here in our midst that would be for us just like it was for his disciples when what it must have been like for them to hear him teach them how to pray. Let's, we're going to first look at the whole prayer. Uh, Phil read for us the passage that we'll be focusing on. We're going to read the whole prayer, and then we're going to focus just on the beginning this week. Give your Bible or your app. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and through verse 13. Jesus says this, and when you pray, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need 
before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first thing that we're going to look at in this passage is how are we to pray? Did you see that? Jesus says, don't pray before this, even in the passage that we were in last week, he said, don't pray like the Pharisees who pray to be seen by men. And then in verse seven, he says, don't pray like the Gentiles do for they think that heaping up many phrases will cause them to be heard. He says, don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask him. So he's acknowledging that we need to know how to pray. We have some wrong assumptions when we approach God in prayer. And he says, then do pray like this, or this is how you are to pray. And it's interesting in this, like there's, so the, in the sermon, we have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and then we have what's called the Sermon on the Plains in Luke, and they're sort of parallel passages. They're either taken from the same sermon or from the same, more likely the same series of sermons that Jesus was teaching throughout Galilee and Judea, and one he gave on the side of a mountain, one he gave in the, the plains. And in both sermons, they record a version of the Lord's Prayer. And they're, they slightly differ in, in content, slightly, but they are incredibly, incredibly similar. But the thing that stands out about Luke's account is that what happens is they, they, the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, the people who are closest to him, they observe him pray. They see him pray, as he would often do, go off to the side and pray and commune with the Father, and something about it strikes them so that whenever he returns, this is what they say. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. They they saw something in Jesus' manner of prayer and the effect of the prayer and the prayer itself that caused him to say, that's something that I want or that's something that I need. Lord, I teach us. Lord, please teach us how to pray. It's not just come teach us a form. They're seeing something. God, Lord, come and teach us how to pray because what you have there in that moment is something that I long for and I know that I don't have in myself. What was it that they observed? Why would they respond that way? Do we view prayer that way? If we even think about it at all, do we view prayer that way? Is that how you think and experience prayer personally? I think if many of us were honest, we would say there's been, if you're a Christian, there may have been moments where you experience prayer like that. But most of us, if we were to be honest, we would admit prayer is something that I forget to do or when I do it, I feel under compunction to do it. And there's some sort of rote kind of set of petitions or requests or things that I have to say or form I have to follow in order to feel like I've accomplished the prayer. And at the end, I often don't know if I accomplished anything. But what I do or experience is not like what the disciples saw Jesus experience whenever he sat down and communed with the Father in prayer. Are his disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to pray because they saw that Jesus' prayers were remarkably answered? Well, possibly that played into it. 
They had seen him do a lot of things. They had seen the father show up and lead him in his life and ministry and then in amazing ways. And that probably played into, they saw like, hey, Lord Jesus, your prayers are answered. Lord, teach us to pray. But I, I think possibly, I think possibly they saw something even more and something deeper than the fact that Jesus' prayers were answered because honestly, they hadn't seen the prayers that he just prayed get a chance to even get answered yet. They saw the nature of his prayer. They saw Jesus tasting and communing and experiencing something that they had not experienced and were not experiencing in prayer. So they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We need to know how to pray. And Jesus, whenever he obliges them and he teaches them how to pray, the first thing he starts off with is he says, don't pray like that. But then he says, this is how you pray. And what does he open the prayer with? He opens the prayer with a reminder, a recital of who we are praying to. He says, our Father. Our Father. That's how prayer begins. Prayer begins with an understanding and experience and knowing that the God in heaven, as we see, is our Father. He says, you begin to pray like this. You approach him as our Father. Now, there's a sense in which every person who is a human being is a child of God. The Bible even uses that phrase in terms of saying that we are all, human, as human beings, children of God. And, and what it means in that is that it, in, in that sense, is saying that we are all made in the image of God. As human beings, we uniquely bear the image of God, the imprint of God, the form of God, the, the in some ways, the reflection of God on our souls. The Father is, God is the Father of all life. And when we say that, though, we mean it in sort of the same way as we might say Thomas Edison is the father of the light bulb. Like, he didn't father the light bulb like we mean when you say you father a child. He began it. He invented it. He's not in any sort of relationship with the light bulb. He is not governing the light bulb. That's, that's where it's kind of different than God. But that's what we mean when we say about Thomas Edison, the father of the light bulb. In that way, God is the father of all human beings and that the imprint or the image of God is resting upon every single human being. He is the creator. But what Jesus says when he says, our father here is something different. Here's what's fascinating about this prayer. It's a revolutionary prayer. And these two words that begin at our father are revolutionary words. Up until this point, up until this point in history, no one had dared to call God Almighty Father. Not the Jews, not the Gentiles, no pagan religion, no one before this is recorded as, re- as referring to God as Father. But Jesus shows up. And he, and he in his prayers before this, in his conversations about, the, about God before this, he calls God Father. And what he is doing is he is claiming sonship. 
I am the son of God. I am the eternally begotten second person of the Godhead. I am loved and beloved by the father. I have a relationship with the father unlike anyone else ever has in the history of humanity. I am the son of God. And he demonstrates his sonship. When Jesus commits these miracles, when he turns water into wine and he raises the dead and he gives sight to the blind, whenever he does all these amazing things, when he cleanses the lepers, when he multiplies the fish and the loaves and the breads, when he calms the seas, he's not just trying to impress anybody. He knows who he is. He's demonstrating, I am the eternally begotten son of the living God. I alone am the son of God. I am the son of the father. I, I am. He says, I am, he claims it in conversations several times with the Jews. He says, I am, same way that Jesus as the God declared to Moses, I am that I am. Before the world began, Jesus was there. He says in John 8, 58, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was what? I am. That's Jesus, the son of God. He says that he is the son of God. He knows him in an intimate way. But truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He talks about God in an intimate way like he knows him because he does and he did. He talks about him like he is deeply connected to him. John 10, 29 to 30. My father who has given them to me, that's the, the believers who followed him, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He is, talks about the Father, the God, about the God of all creation, the one God that Dale mentioned. He talks about the one true God as if he and he are one and the same, as they are connected because they are. And that's revolutionary. The Son of God would show up in creation as a part of creation showing that he is the son of God, but it doesn't just stop there. The revolution continues and spreads even farther and more harder to comprehend than that. Jesus says he is pulling his followers, those that are connected to him, he is pulling them into the same kind of relationship that he has with the Father, the eternally begotten one, the one who says, I am that I am, who says, I and the Father are one. He says he's pulling in all those who are his followers into that same relationship with the Father. He's making God their Father or our Father too. John 1, 12, this is how the Apostle John begins his story about Jesus' life. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what Jesus was doing on his earthly mission. He was just showing up and just showing up to die on the cross and Take away our sins like that's amazing. That's an amazing, amazing, amazing. But put it in perspective, he's doing so, so that. Not just to cleanse your record and so you can be clean again and go a long life as you were before. He's doing so, so that you and I could become children of the living God. So that sonship, childhood, that being an heir would be taken and put upon us as well. This is the privilege. Listen, 
in this rainy, cold morning. This is the privileges, the privilege of privileges. It's the highest honor that exists in the universe. In fact, in all of eternity to call God Father, to call, in fact, the wording here is not just Father like a, hello, Father, it is Abba. It is a, it's harder to, to convey that. It's, it's, it's Daddy, it's Dada, it's my Dad. I get to call God of all creation Dad. Jesus is bringing us into that same relationship. He called God Abba, Daddy, God, and he's bringing us into the same relationship with him. That's why in the early church, not only could you not take communion until after you were baptized, you weren't allowed to say the Lord's Prayer until after you had been baptized. Because to claim God as your Father and all the privileges that come with that only come to those who have believed on the Son of God and bowed their knee to Him as their Savior and as their Lord and have been made new and clean and have been what Jesus said, born again from above. Our ability to pray is based upon the doctrine or the truth of our adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Through the work of Jesus, every believer, every believer, the believer who comes in dressed nicely with a suit and tie, sure. The believer who comes in and barely made it here, absolutely. The believer who sins and sins and sins and sins, absolutely. And, and keeps on coming back repentant and broken and broken, yes, absolutely. The believer who seems to have everything together, yes. Every single believer, young, old, rich, poor, Asian, white, black, it doesn't matter. Every single believer, no matter your history, no matter your record, every single believer who trusts in the work and the person of Jesus Christ, who calls him Lord and King, every single believer, every single believer is adopted as a child of the living God. We are brought into the family of the Trinity. Do you hear that? You are brought into the fellowship and the family of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The sonship of the eternally begotten Son of God is bestowed upon us. You are no less a son or child of the Father, God, than Jesus is himself. That should blow our minds, but it is eternal, absolute truth based upon the concrete work of Jesus Christ through his perfect life and substitutionary death and glorious resurrection and impending return. You are adopted and born again as a child of God. Jesus is saying this. That's how you get to pray like me by being made one with me. This prayer, the opening of this prayer, our Father, is an invitation to the inner circle. You ever feel like you're outside? You ever feel like you're outside the cool club or the rich club or the privileged club? You ever feel like you're outside the intellectual club? Maybe you feel like you're outside the religious club or the Christian club. Every believer is invited and brought in to the inner circle of the Holy Trinity of God. 
the prayer is an invitation there. You can pray like Jesus because you are. The believer is united with Christ. The Christian is no longer an outsider with God. You are a child with full privileges coming to the Father with all the privileges of a child. With all the privileges of Jesus Christ himself. What does that What does that mean? That means you are brought near to the Father in a personal relationship with Him. It is personal. A father has a personal relationship with his child, and you have that kind of relationship. It's not general. He didn't just love all people and die for all people and bring all people to Himself, He brought you. He died for you, and not only that, but he came after you in your life, in your personal mess. Look, I, I don't know what you, maybe you thought, hey, I lived a glistening life until I realized I was a sinner, and maybe you're like, you have no idea how I have messed up my every single thing in my life. It doesn't matter. The Father came after you personally and brought you personally to himself. He gave you the faith to come to him He's the one who brought you to. He engineered all of your, all the circumstances. Think of all the circumstances it took to bring you to himself, to bring you to an end of yourself. He engineered all those things out of love to bring you. His pursuit of you didn't end at Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. It continued until he brought you to himself and it continues for you today. Our connection is personal, but it's familial. It's a family connection. God is your father. And if that's true, then that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, our father in heaven. We together share the fatherhood of God for us. Our connection uh, is is deep and, and wide and impenetrable. It is based upon the work of Jesus Christ and the love of the father to us. We are brought near to him individually and we are connected together. And the father's love is poured out to us, rich and poor, whether we're doctrinally different, whether we're different in our emphasis and our practice, he, we all come together and we say, as we say the prayer personally, we say together, the prayer together corporately, we are recounting with all the believers everywhere right now and throughout all of history and all the believers in the future, through all eternity, who say, our Father. It is personal, it's familial, and it's a loving relationship. The love that God has for you is the love of a father to his child. It's tender and personal and intimate. It is an intimate love. Our Abba, our Daddy. That's a personal thing that you say to a God, to a Father who loves you personally. And if you know that love, it produces love and faith and affection and trust in our hearts towards the Father, our Father. But notice what he says next. He just says our Father, he says in heaven. We don't just pray to our Father. Our Father is in heaven. This isn't about the location of God, like he's in heaven and not on earth, because we know that he is everywhere all at once without expending any effort. It's it's showing the, the nature of his divinity. Our God is in heaven. Our Father is God. 
is the one and only true God. He is eternally other than us. He is greater and other than you and I. What does it mean that we pray to the God of heaven? It means we pray to the God of power. It means we pray to the God of power because he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Our God, our Father, our Father in heaven is the creator and sustainer of all things. As humans, as humans, there's no power that we can reference that's greater than that. All that we know, all that we see, all that we can observe, every single thing comes from him. Every single thing comes from him. It is his power of imagination that conceived of all things. It's his power of ability that formed all things. And it is his power, his limitless power that powers all things. Have you ever been awed by something? Maybe you stood by the ocean and you were awed in a moment. Maybe you saw a storm and it came around you and you were awed by it. Maybe you stood on the side of a mountain and looked over a cliff and you were awed by something. Maybe you've been to an amazing waterfall or seen a sunset or seen a baby being born and you were awed by something. Has anything ever taken your breath away? Like, really, like, out of fear or out of awe or out of amazement? Has anything ever taken your breath away? I can't believe that. Have you ever been frozen in wonder or fear? I am deathly afraid of heights. My most fearful moments have been all, almost all related to heights and Clemson losses. Yeah. Right, when, I, when I stand anywhere, any, anything that's, at, that's high at all, I, my stomach starts to do crazy things. If I stand there too long, I can see a little, like the black starts to come in from the edges of my eyes. I feel a little bit dizzy. I'm telling everybody to stand back. I mean, they're like feet away from me. I'm like, everybody stand back. It's not just that I'm afraid of heights. It's that that's something that for me, in a gut level, literally catches awe and fear. Because if that's that far down from here, think of how limitless the depths are of God. They are unsearchable and unminable. Have you ever been in awe or fear of something? Has any wonder ever crept into your heart? Has any concept of science or math ever, ever left you puzzled? Like, I don't understand how that works. All of creation is an outshining of God's multifaceted power. This is the God to whom you approach in prayer. That is the God, the God of all power and awe. If you ever stood in fear of him, you should, because he is limitless in power and scope. And not only do we pray to the God in heaven who is a God of, of power, but we pray to the God in heaven who is a God of authority. He is not only the creator of all things, but he is the ruler of all things. He isn't just, he isn't just the unconcerned creator and sustainer of all things. He's the Lord, the active Lord of his creation. He exercises, he exercises full sovereignty over all of it. Our God is in heaven and he does all that he pleases. There is no authority that is greater than his. Not only that, there's no th authority outside of his authority. Can you imagine that? It's difficult for us to comprehend. We can imagine a great power uh, who exercises great authority. 
It could be a, a nation or a corporation or a person who has great power and great authority. Each of those might, might be the most powerful thing in each of their category, but everything has a limit, right? There, there could be a, a smaller power that exists somewhere else, some other country that's smaller, that still we don't exercise authority over, but not God. All authority is derived and borrowed from him. Some, think it, some acknowledge that it belongs to him and some think they have stolen authority from him, but he is calmly and securely over all, over everything, everything, everything. Angels and men have challenged him, but he has never felt challenged. Our God is in heaven and he does all that he pleases. That's why when people see heaven, they see a throne. It is an intrinsic in God's nature. And there's good news for those of us who will hear it because if we, we have a God who has authority, then he is involved in his creation. The all-wise, all-powerful creator God is exercising all that wisdom and all of that goodness in governing his creation. God is all-powerful and he all, holds all authority or he's not God. And that can be intimidating. That kind of God can challenge us or threaten us because he does things that we do not understand and that we do not agree with. He governs things and does things in ways that we cannot comprehend. It could shake us. It can cause us to question things. And it should. That's the point. Who can stand before the true, all-powerful, sovereign God of eternity, the God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Who can stand there and not tremble? What person can go unchallenged before that God? Who can pretend to know what is good and wise and just before such an awesome God? And Jesus came to reveal to us who that God is, that he is a father to those of us who he's drawing near. Look at what he's showing us in the opening to this prayer. Listen to the words again in light of what we said, our father in heaven. If Jesus had just said, our Father, or if he just said, our God in heaven, then that would be understandable, right? Fathers are generally, not always, are generally good, they're generally loving, but they're also flawed. And at some point, don't you, when you're growing up, don't you realize like, hey, my dad isn't as strong as I thought he was, or maybe quite as smart as I thought he was. He's just another human being. No. We can somewhat conceive of a, a vague, somewhat conceive of a vague picture of a God in heaven. He dwells above everything. He might be all-powerful. He might be vaguely good. But Jesus prayed to our Father in heaven who loves us and yet is all-powerful and almighty. And he invites us into that same relationship to be able to sit, pray that same prayer. It was unimaginable before Jesus said it, and it is almost incomprehensible now. And the thing is that it can only be said through the spirit of adoption that sings in the true believer's soul. The Holy Spirit of adoption within the believer's soul causes our trembling lips to say that which is unthinkable and to claim that which is unimaginable. Our Father, my Father in heaven. I am his heir. All that he has is mine. I am his loved child. I have to put no worry about my place in his affections. The Holy Spirit sings that in my heart. 
And it is a song. Do you know that song? Is that song within you? Is that assurance within you? Have you experienced the love of God? Are you experiencing it now is really the question I'm asking you. Are you experiencing the love of the Father now? Do you sense and feel the Holy Spirit singing within your soul, our Father in heaven, Abba, Father, crying out to him? Because here's the thing. Either you know this love, you've forgotten this love, or you've never known it, but it's one of those three. Either you know this love, you've forgotten this love, or you've never known it. Believer, I'm going to talk to you first. This love is not something to be remembered. It's something to be experienced. You aren't to remember that Christ brought you near to God. You're not just to simply remember that God is your father, just as much as he's the father of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to remember. That's not what love is. That's not the way love works. How often as a child did you need to be reminded of how much your parents loved you. You needed it all the time. How many times has your child asked for or longed for or looked for a hug or a kiss or something that conveys to you, I love you and everything's okay? Is it enough if your boyfriend, ladies, is it enough if your boyfriend kissed you once, told you they love, he loves you? Gentlemen, is it enough if your wife told you one time I love you, kissed you, that should be enough for the rest of your life? No, love is something, not something to be mentally understood or believed. Love is meant to be experienced. And you can't begin to pray. Hear this. You can't begin to pray properly. You can't hope for prayer to be what you long for it to be if you don't know, if you don't know and aren't experiencing the fatherly love of God to you and in you. And you... At the same time, Jesus said, like, you also can't experience the fatherly love of God towards you without prayer. That's why Jesus promised and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within the believers. That's why Jesus prayed that we would be in him and he would be us so that we would know the love of God. That's why Paul talks about, when he talks about the father love of God, he talks about the spirit of adoption or the spirit of the living God being spread abroad in our hearts to, let, to make us know that we are his children. You were made to know and experience the lavish, unending waves of the Father's love to you. You were made to know and experience the lavish, unending waves of the Father's love towards you. Unending. That's the way you were meant to experience. Are you a Christian? This is literally your birthright. Have you, have you, have you, never, have you never known this? Have you never known this kind of love? Have you never experienced the cry of the Holy Spirit within yourself crying out, almost outside of yourself, crying out within your soul, Abba, Father to God, witnessing with you that you are a child of God? If you have never known that, then unbeliever, and that's what I have to call you, unbeliever, are you willing to walk one more day? Are you willing to walk one more day in this uncertain world without that relationship being secure to you, without having this assurance in your heart? This world is big and it's dark and it's fragile. How could you dare to walk another step without the witness of the Holy Spirit within you, enabling you to cry out to the God of all creation, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. And Christian, how long are you willing to go without it? 
seek and ask the Father to shed his spirit abroad in your heart. That's the prayer that Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus. That they may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you see, but do you see, believer, do you see the beauty in this? Non-believer, do you see the beauty in this and the amazing good news in this? We don't, we don't do the work that secures our adoption. Jesus did it for us. We only receive it. Neither do we have to strive in ourselves to know the love of the Father. The Holy Spirit within us calls out within our souls, Abba, Father. We are made sons and daughters of the Father by Jesus Christ, and we experience the love of the Father through the work and presence of the Holy Spirit within us. The Trinity that we were talking about earlier, the Trinity has done and is doing all of the work for you, believer. Non-believer, the Holy, the Holy Trinity has done and is doing all the work for you. So what does this mean? How does to whom you pray affect you? How do you think? How does it affect your prayer? How would it affect your prayer? How does it affect your life? Well, it changes everything. If you are experiencing the love of your Father in heaven, what would happen if you pray with that kind of confidence and that kind of love pouring out in your soul? How would you pray? How often would you pray? Would you fight to get to a prayer service instead of dreading it? Would you pray? Would you seek to pray with your spouse and with your friends? How would it change your small group? What kind of confidence would you have if you had this confidence that our, my Father, our Father in heaven is the God who invites me to come to him and make petitions and cry out to him and commune with him? What kind of confidence would it give you in your prayer? How would it affect your depression and your loneliness? How would it bleed into your other relationships? What kind of joy would you be able to have in hardship? What kind of peace would you be able to go to night, at night, go to sleep in? What kind of requests might you make if you were secure and experiencing that kind of love in your soul of the Father? What kind of requests would you be bold enough to make to God? What would you ask for? Would you pray smaller prayers or would you maybe pray bigger prayers? Would you pray broader prayers or would you maybe pray more specific prayers? What kind of faith would it breed? What kind of answers would we see? And finishing up, Jesus said, our Father in heaven, did you notice what he says next? He says, hallowed or hallowed be your name. When you consider God as your father, when you experience the love of the father shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit of God, you know what happens? Your praying turns from a chore into adoration. Your prayer, you'll make your petitions, but it'll, they'll turn to praise really quick. Your prayer will be filled with wonder. But the question is, will you surrender? 
because that's the natural response. There can be no other to this kind of father, to this kind of God, both the fatherhood of God and the greatness, the sovereignty of God demand a response. And together to have a God who is both our God in heaven and our father doubly demands that kind of respect, that kind of response. Hallowed be thy name. It, it's worship. It's, it's worship, which is a, a bowing before him and it is adoration, which is an enjoyment and it's of him. It's submission. It's affection. It's joyful submission. It's a response of everything that I am to the one I know to be of greatest value, of unending, undeserved, lavish love towards me and from me back to him. Now we're about to partake in communion together. And it is a ritual meal. It's a ritual that we do here at Doxa every Sunday, but it's more than just a ritual, it's a family meal. And it's a meal that's provided by your elder brother, Jesus Christ, his broken body and his shed blood for you. It's a meal provided by your elder brother who welcomes you into the meal and into the family with open arms. It's your heavenly father who sets the table, who enthusiastically is smiling at you no matter where you have been and no matter where you've done, bringing you in. He says, not only come in and eat and dine with me, but he, Jesus says, come and eat di- and dine upon me. Because the promise isn't just fellowship. The promise is to partake of the divine nature ourselves. To find an experience to be brought into the peace and joy and love and power of God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit cries in my soul, Abba, Father. Believer, that's your birthright. This morning, as you come and partake of communion, let it be a reminder, but take that reminder and say, God, help me to experience. I'm crying out to you. Help me to experience the Father love of God in my soul. And if you're not a believer here this morning, if you've never tasted that, if you've never experienced God's spirit within your spirit crying out, Abba, Father, today is the day. Today is the day. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another day. Don't even wait for me to finish talking right now in your soul. Cry out, God, I trust Jesus Christ for my sins and I confess him as my Lord. Adopt me into your family, I pray. We're all going to feast together. Those of us who are believers in Christ will be two stations. Everyone who is a believer in Christ are welcome to come forward and partake of this this morning, the body and the blood, as we continue to worship our amazing Lord and our Father who is in heaven. Father, I thank you for the truth that you are in heaven and you do all as you please. And yet, for every one of us who are believers, you are our Father. We've been brought near to you by the blood of Christ. And we want to know and experience the Father love of God for us. We don't just want to know it mentally and accept that as if that's enough. God, we want to experience the Father love of God in our souls. And so we cry out to you, God, would you pour out your spirit upon us and cause us to experience that love unlike we have uh, in a, maybe ever before or certainly in a long time.
Holy Spirit, come and do what you do. Glorify the Son and unite us with the Father for the glory of Jesus and for our eternal joy, we pray. Amen.